studio as they often do at this time of the week. Boyd and Robert Metz, nice to have both of you here. Nice to see you, Jim. Good morning, Jim. We call this part of our program Left, Right, and Center for obvious reasons, although it's not always about uh, uh, about uh, um, political philosophy. Sometimes it's just a look at what's going on in the world around us and a discussion of what, if anything, we can do to affect it. And I suspect, well, I don't know. We'll see how where today goes, but I know we're kind of starting from there. The three of us are sharing, uh, and during the break, we're sharing a common concern. Um, the story driven by the story from Michigan about the little boy, the six-year-old boy who shot and killed another six-year-old girl. Um, obviously, that's aberrant behavior. There are 300 and some million people in the United States in this one story, this one murder, which is a terrible tragedy. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the end of civilization in the United States. What it does point out, though, is that there are children in need of various kinds of help, and we don't yet know enough about this to know what the situation was with this, with this little boy or little girl, but I, I think it dramatizes for, for us the dangers of, of some children who obviously are having some kinds of problems relating to reality, and what are we going to do about it? And that brings it a little closer to home here, where the Madame Vanier Center is looking for some funding from the City of London, because they've been cut back by the province, which is their I think, Mary, and Marion, help me, it's the province is their primary Absolutely, funding. yes, yeah, the okay. Children's Mental Health Program. Okay. So the province has said, well, no, we can't afford to give. We're going to give the tax break here, and we're going to do this and that. And, the and in fact, thing. they've cut their, their funding. Yeah, they've cut the funding for them. And there are a lot of people in our community who are looking at it saying, well, even people like me, who are generally in favor of tax cuts and generally in favor of stimulating the economy because we believe that ultimately the... There, there will be benefits for all, but even people like me are looking at that and saying, this is not probably not a place to cut. And then we look at a story like this, that again, there's no direct relationship, or I'm not trying to make one, none of us are trying to make one, but this kind of focuses our attention on this. And I guess the, uh, it comes back to the old, uh, that oil commercial, you can pay me now or pay me later. And, and my question is, I'm going to go to both of, our, both of our guests today, isn't it kind of past time that we started to pay attention to the pay me now element of that i absolutely we agree. learned yeah i don't know why we haven't learned uh in fact as we have have become more sophisticated about really looking at um some of the causal relationships for some of the the really serious problems that we all have identified uh with youth uh, Dr. Fraser Mustard's report, for example, mm -hmm. that he, he gave to the, uh, the province, very clearly saying that what we do with children in those early years, in, in, the, in the years before they go to school and in those early years at school, is, is key to what their behaviors, their responsibility, and so on will be. And usually there are signs if a child is deeply disturbed by that point in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact, in the story, Jim, this is apparently a child who shouts and spits and, mm. and hits others and so on. That's a, a clear sign that that's a child in need of help. And when we have our only children's mental health center begging and saying, they turn away 800 children a year who are displaying seriously aberrant behavior and they can't serve them. I think we ought to be asking some very serious questions, particularly when we see this kind of, of event really focusing our attention on, on what can happen if we don't intervene. Robert, I know you've made the point many times on the program that, uh, uh, and I don't want to paraphrase here, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you have a strong concern with individual responsibility, individual rights under the law and so on. How do your concerns in those areas relate to these kinds of problems? When we look at a specific case at Madame Vanier where 
where, uh, yes, they're coming back looking for more government money, but there, there's, there does seem to be a profound need there. Well, that's true of every social program run by government. Everyone will say they're in crisis. Everyone will say they have a profound need. Everyone needs more money. Everyone is turning away people. Everybody's standing in line. That's the way it works. We want government service. That's the way it works. So I don't think we should complain about that part of it. However, when Marion suggests that they're turning away 800 kids a year, I'm asking myself, turning away to who? Back to the family, back to the parents. If that's where we're turning them back to, then there has to be a problem there. Or are we just talking about, are we talking about uh, seriously, physically, you know, handicapped kids who have a physical problem? Occasionally um, they have a physical problem. I mean, it is a mental health facility, so the, the physical disability part of it, generally in our town, CPRI would be mm -hmm. uh, more likely mm -hmm. to be involved with a family in, in those kinds of instances. These are our kids with emotional and mental health problems. Um, and Madame Vanier, certainly for service providers, has always been a wonderful referral point because they have a, they have a team approach they manage, they have, they have both residential and non-residential services. They work with the whole family to try and change the behavior patterns that are, are destructive within, within the family. They also do individual work with the kids, and the kids often have group uh, help mm -hmm. as well, so that they learn to relate and socialize better with their peers, which often is a problem for kids with behavioral problems. Now, is the only funding available for Madame Vanier strictly government funding? Well, or do they have other sources? Uh, they, they may raise some money from, from some foundations and so on for certain specific things. And I think in the past, I don't know whether now, they have had a little bit of money for some of the research, the, the ongoing research to measure the outcomes of mm. their service. Are, are but, patients but these and parents are, allowed to pay? Are they allowed to contribute themselves if they these, have the funds? The, the parents who have the money mm -hmm. generally are the ones, if they are turned away, who are able to get services elsewhere. Generally speaking, Madame Vanier is 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 a is a service for people who are 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 in a situation where they can't afford that kind of intensive care. They also are the only experts in town. Um, well, you make you it know, sound like they're have. they're they're already operating at capacity, basically. If they're turning away people with money who have money available that they're willing to spend, and they're not accepting it, they must already be at capacity. At, which, do, which kind of belies the other argument that they need more money if they're already operating at capacity. Well, they what obviously they need to could do is expand or that, maybe exactly, have a and that's that's what they're saying. But the the issue is that their funding has been cut back, so their capacity has been cut back, and that's that's something that at, right at the very time that we're all identifying the need to act in a preventive way but rather than is, acting after I the I think crisis. you missed my point. Oh, my point capacity is, isn't always bricks and mortar. Though. No, right, I understand well, I'm that. not talking about bricks and mortar. But if they're turning people back because of money, and there are people coming in the door who have money but are being turned back and have to go elsewhere with their money, why aren't they being let in? I don't understand well, that. Well, the Canada Health Act. Well... There's our problem, isn't it? Universality and social services and, 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 and oh. you know, like, Marion, you're the one that just described the problem to me. I'm reflecting it back at you the way you gave it to me. And here you are telling me that there are people showing up there with money in their hands who can't go. I didn't say that at well, all. You said I said, I, don't, I said those who are served are mostly low-income people who cannot uh, afford these, these services elsewhere. Certainly I know in my experience with the referrals that I made to, to Madame Vanier, that was the situation. Okay, so, so, so you're basically just saying that uh, the issue of payment for services isn't an issue. Well, Bob, uh, we, I think we've got an option here. We can either stand in the rain 
and dream about building a beautiful big house, or we can try to build some kind of shelter, even if it's temporary, from the rain that's coming down on us right now. I understand what you're saying, but, you know, you and, and, and this is what you keep coming back to. We've got to rebuild the whole structure. Okay, maybe we do have we to We don't rebuild. have to rebuild the whole structure. We don't even have to touch the structure. We can leave the structure right where it is. We just have to let other people have choice. We have to have people who don't need that structure well, not have to be a part of it. Marion insists in, in, in that we have fact, a universal, in, equal in like health care system in right across in the In actual board. fact, psychologists are not paid by OHIP. Social workers are not paid by OHIP. Psychotherapists are not paid by OHIP. Uh, children, child care workers, CCWs, are not paid by OHIP. So it is possible for people who have money to purchase those services outside of the health system. Yeah, it, it is, is possible. Yeah. That's, that's there. What they're looking at, what, 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 what Madame Vanier is looking at, is a situation of where they, the combined issues of people with, with low income, with few personal resources, with, uh, in, in many cases, no, uh, no supports in terms of their parenting skills, seeking services from an expert team of people who are renowned for dealing with very difficult problems. And it is not a question of, I mean, it, it just isn't an appropriate time for you to get on your soapbox about, about taxpayers not paying for, for services oh, So you're for on your soapbox saying that the only answer is more taxpayer money poured into it. That's your, that's your answer. No, that sounds like a, a one-line soapbox answer to well, me. It, I'm go back to what Jim said. What Jim said, either you pay now or you pay later. No, and I, I, just, I, I, I would rather pay at the, at the Madame Vanier level to try and, and turn some of these situations around than pay at the correctional level, which is what we often see. Well, there's no question that it's more expensive at the correctional level. Absolutely. Well, that's true, but it's also no question that the responsibility on the front line is parents and the people closest to the person. You just don't go out boldly to anyone in the community and say, I'm going to force you to pay me now or I'm going to force you to pay me later. No, but you can make the same argument about crime in general. You can yes, say, you can. You can say that it's the individual responsibility and we have people who are falling down in their responsibilities and they become criminals. Well, we do have a process to, that works to a certain extent with them. But you're making, it sounds to me like you're making the same argument about parents. Well, parents who aren't doing the job, they are the problem. Okay, fine, they're the problem. What do we do about it? And, well, and let me make it very clear. I, I really to need to add, jump add, in add, here add because I'm not talking about anything? parents not doing their job. Okay. I'm not talking about parents not doing their job. Children do have mental illnesses. In fact, the, the, the increasing suicide among children under age 10 should worry us all. I mean, this is a very serious problem. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily reflect bad parenting. It may Good reflect point. an issue that parents don't have the kinds of supports they, they need. They don't know how to deal with behavior but that is some, so aberrant. Yeah, but by some people's lights, and not yours, not mine, by some people's lights, those parents are not being good parents by not having educated themselves by not having taken the responsibility to to recognize that the child does have an illness and that there are things they can do now i don't feel that way no. you don't feel that way but well, there quite are people often who do. when you're talking emotional problems it could be the parents causing the problem yes it could it could be it the could school be, causing case, the problem in which it case parents any who, number of factors if, if parents are, the, are 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 creating the problem they're unlikely to spend their private dollars to try and resolve the problem mm -hmm. because they won't mm -hmm. want the secrets out Mm -hmm. So that's another reason to have services that are available. You may, you may get better service for the child who is in that kind of problem. I have no problem with having services available. And when I'm talking about services, I never get involved in the service end of things. That's between a patient and his doctor or whoever. I'm only involved in what's the best way to fund it and what's the best way to make sure it's still there in the long term. These short-term Band-Aid solutions of just 
quick emergency increase funding every time we have a, a peak in a need is not a, not a long-term solution. Well, in, in fact, this isn't an emergency. This is a long-term problem that's been going on, I think they identified, for the last eight years. And certainly when we were in government, we were well aware of the fact that we could not fund to the level that they could demonstrate need and they could demonstrate success. We couldn't. But you wouldn't call it a crisis. And now then. we have this huge uh, surplus federally where we had promises of a child program. We had promises that children would be the focus of this budget. And what do we see? Tax cuts. We don't see one red cent going to pre prevent the kind of problem that, that we're seeing with, with, child, uh, with a child uh, who obviously had difficulties in this case. Well, can we expect, is, and to put this to both of you, then we're going to pause for a second and we'll come back and get your thoughts. Is it reasonable for us to expect that that however we juggle the government books and move that government money, that that's ultimately the solution. We can make an argument, and the argument has often been made, that one of the, the, the underlying crisis of mental health care in this country is our attitudes towards mental health. I agree with you. That, 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 we, that we need to be focusing time and uh, attention and funds, if necessary, and they are necessary, to changing people's attitudes about mental health. And ultimately, that may be the most effective way to, to change the funding outcomes at the other end. We're going to pause for a second. We'll let our guests cogitate about that, come back and talk about it. Remind you, lines are open at 643-1290 star 1290 in the Rogers AT&T if you'd like to be part of this edition of Left, Right, and Center. Before we broke for those commercial announcements, I, I, I put a question to my guests or put, a, put an issue to my guests that uh, is important to me and I think is a, is a real problem in our society and that is the uh, labeling that we tend to put on people, particularly when it has to do with mental health. We've seen programs and continue to see programs funded at various uh, government levels that remind us that, uh, that mental illness is exactly that. It's an illness, and like many other illnesses, there's a myriad of treatments available now. Um, many, many conditions that were totally debilitating as little as 10 or 15 years ago can now be controlled very effectively with drug therapies and other therapies. And yet we still, we still, at least people of my generation, I don't know about the kids, I can't talk for them. People of my generation, there is still the stigma, because I run into it all the time, about crazy people. And, and, you know, well, they're just crazy. And, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, they're just, they're, they're different. They're crazy. They're, they're insane and all these other words that we I used to I, use. I think what it means is that you excuse their behavior. One of the problems with treating uh, mentally ill people is their own behavior patterns. And sometimes in order to get them into treatment, we're not talking about kids now, mm -hmm. um, you'd have to interfere with their, quote, civil liberties mm -hmm. in order to get them into treatment. And that's a dangerous line that a lot of bureaucrats and politicians don't want to cross. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that because we, regardless of what problems you may have, when you're 18, you're 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 an adult and you have a certain amount of rights. And until you prove yourself a, you know, a a, a danger to society in some way, there's not really any reason anyone else can quote force you into treatment. And um, but I don't think that it that it necessarily means when people say that about uh, anyone with uh, a mental handicap that. Um, you know, there's this, there's this major label, and it's a whole other class of people. I you don't, don't think, think it's that's dismissive. Oh, I, I, I would really, I would really, really, really disagree well, with it. It is on a, on a degree. I mean, a, a person who, say, a genius couldn't have a very good relationship with a person who can hardly speak. I mean, it just it's not possible. You have to sort of deal with your own level. Everybody does that. Why? 
because don't because genius, we relate don't, better. Don't geniuses have dogs and cats? Oh yeah, I mean you can do that if that's where you're if you have common interests. Yeah, that's there's nothing so, wrong so with that. So why would IQ get in the way of? Uh, it's not IQ. The, it's the interest that 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 IQ will allow or not allow. Well, you know, uh, many of the um, people who are involved in a program like the Out of the Cold program, for mm -hmm. example, where nice middle class people who've never had any contact with people who live on the street, many of whom have emotional difficulties and 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 some have serious mental illnesses the, the, it uniformly back from them comes the report that I now start to see these people as people with problems mm -hmm. not as labels yeah. not as the, the the sort of amorphous other that I don't like anymore and and I think that's 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 really I mean I I, I, I half agree with you that it's this attitude that we have nothing in common with with people that keeps us from reaching out and 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 welcoming them into our community that's the whole purpose of integrated programs in 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 elementary and high school mm -hmm. for for children because if children right from the beginning learn that the person who has a handicap whether it's a physical handicap or 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 a mental uh, illness that they get to know that person as a person and see the good parts of that person as well as the difficulties mm -hmm. that they have it changes their 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 view mm -hmm. of people as as other, mm -hmm. and um, one of the tragedies for Madame Vanier is that they uh, there was a time when they they were able to offer a whole lot more support in the classroom to keep kids in the classroom. They would be there to assist the teacher with with behavioral issues to help the other kids understand that it's a behavioral problem, and of course to help the the child who is the focus of their attention. As the funding disappears, that that tends to to, to be very effective, but it also tends to be a fairly expensive mm -hmm. intervention. And uh, I remember when the program was at um, at the Bishop Townsend School. I mean, there were a lot of kids that were really assisted by that kind of support. And the funding uh, issues, um, you know, always you have to try and look at the economies of scale. And, and I, I believe those programs have either been cut back drastically or don't exist anymore because you... you you obviously can provide a higher level of service to, to more people if you have everybody in the same spot. Mm -hmm. But that segregates those children from the rest of the community. And they then, of course, then don't have the benefit of people seeing their good side as well as their bad you side. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting to me if we look at, at some of our societal reactions to, to problematic children. And I think of uh, Childreach, which is an organization yes. I've had a long time involved with. In, in and they do area. wonderful work. They do. Uh, and they're not necessarily dealing with disturbed children, just parents and kids who need a little help, little guidance, sometimes parents who want a little uh, a break, not in the sense of a babysitter, but they need a little emotional break, a little emotional support, and so on. And they do wonderful work, and the government has continued to fund them, although we've had to uh, be very aggressive in the private sector raising funds Absolutely. for them. Absolutely. Anytime I talk to anybody about child reach and explain what it is, I've never had anybody give me a negative reaction to it. Oh, absolutely not. And yet if you talk in general terms about funding those kinds of programs, there are a great many more people in my experience who are very cautious and nervous about it. Because I'm, perhaps because they've seen governments and continue to see governments, HRDC being one of them, um, situations where governments don't seem to be good stewards of the money that they're spending. And I don't know how we... I don't know how we convince both the governments to be more responsible and the people to be more proactive in getting involved in, in these programs and, and by that proactivity helping to monitor what the governments are doing. I don't know how we do that. 
you have to make the system voluntary. You have to get the government out of it as much as possible. You know, I listen, listen to both you and Marion here, and I can't argue with anything you say about the services that are offered by these various agencies and groups. It's great service. We need more of it. That's, that's fine. But that's like arguing about wishing you were a millionaire, but not even talking once about what you're going to do to get that million bucks. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the only thing we should be talking about. We don't need to talk about sick kids and, and who, who's ha who has a handicap in this. The only issue here, as far as I can see, is money. And there are two alternatives. One, we just rob each other blind until, until the government goes bankrupt and we, and we don't get the service, or we do something different, well, anything different. There's well, a million other things we could do. This, but this, all, all, I'm, all I'm objecting to is this one. The services are largely voluntary as it is. Voluntary boards of directors, in fact, do ensure their accountability mm -hmm. to the community as That's well as to the That's probably why they're funder. so effective. And also, a lot of Volunteers Child Reach is a very good example of people who have been helped by them, who mm -hmm. come back and volunteer and do all sorts of things. So how can we get so them more money? What's, what, what, what do you think? Let's work together here on this. What, would we, what should we all do to get them more money? Or is the only solution that you could see just increase in taxes? Well, one of the positive things about Child Reach, to use that organization again, is that there are a number of... of entities in the community working hard to raise private funds for them. Mm -hmm. and we, the East London Cruisers, which is one of the groups I'm involved with, has raised, I don't know, forty or $50,000 in the there last three years. There you go. So we should be doing more of that, shouldn't yeah. we? Well, we, we, the, the, there, there, is a, there is a saturation point, but I don't think we've reached that yet. And as, I long think as, yes. as long as the government then doesn't withdraw their funds and that's to match it, which I believe is the problem that many of the agencies find. And that's something that, yes, we do need to look at. You know, that's a big problem with government funding is that it reduces the incentive for people to get involved. They think that things are already being taken care of. Um, and also the agencies, on the other hand, just like the welfare recipient, you know, it doesn't want to give up those benefits by taking a job because they'll cut back his benefits. Obviously, if you're self-sufficient, you shouldn't be living off the government. But there is the other issue that, that you have to, I mean, in order to raise funds, you have to have the infrastructure and the staff to do it. And the staff generally say, I'm here to look after the kids, I'm not here to ra raise money. Yeah. So you have to have a different kind of person yeah. doing the fundraising yeah. than looking after the kids. You do. We have to look after something here on 1290 CJBK. We want to bring you up to speed in what's happening in the world around you. We've got a couple important messages to share as well. But left, right, and center will continue more with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz after the latest news with Tara Clough. Yes, it is. It's Left, Right, and Center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz and yours truly, Jim Chapman. Um, we're going to continue our discussion from before the news, and we were talking about... Um, well, we had come to the point where we were talking about funding alternatives for uh, worthwhile social programs, let's put it that way. And Bob had kind of, uh, I think, challenged us a little bit to, uh, to, to, to look at the alternatives. Are there alternatives that would work and deliver the services that we need uh, and do that effectively? Um, and we were talking about child reach because it's something I know a lot about and Marion knows a lot about and Bob knows something about as well. Um, a very straightforward program with straightforward goals, uh, a very successful track record uh, in, in helping uh, uh, parents, with, particularly with young children, learn to, uh, learn to be good parents. Um, and it's a program that has had its ups and downs with funding but depends uh, to a certain extent on public fundraising and I'm involved in that and that's one of the reasons we're going with that. But Bob, I wonder if, if, we, uh, if these organizations have to depend on the notorious fickleness of the public, uh, if, if the funds aren't there on a given day, week, month or year for a worthwhile program, 
you know, in the pure free market sense of things, well, the program isn't worth keeping, let's dump the program. Well, it's either that or deal with the fickleness of the government, who we just found out cut back 10% of their funding for, for the Vanier Center. But they didn't cut back 100%. Well, no, but that's all you're talking about, there, there, is a marginal difference. That's, that's where you really feel it. And it's not that I'm saying fundraising is the only source of revenue. I, I, I regard government as the last agency of resort, not the first. The first agency of resort should be the parent, you know, I, I apply this to everything, whether it's health care, mental or, or otherwise, uh, education, whatever. It's the consumer or the person closest to the consumer who should be the first paying something. Mm -hmm. After that, you go to charity. After that, you go to government. And well, and in between that, even with the charities, and I'm not—I don't mean charity like handout charity. You could have a lottery like that, like the the, the schools run here, the million, you yeah. know, the big home that they give away and all that yeah. stuff. And they're making money on those things, and yeah, people will put money into something when they think they've got a good odds of getting, so, you know, winning a prize or doing something like that. You'll always get money out of people, and I. I the lottery business is a huge way of raising money for I things like that. I think, though, that we have to really look at the fact that some causes are easier to raise money for than others. No, Child that. Reach is, is a nice, supportive family mm -hmm. program. You can see lovely little children, rosy and chubby, playing with toys yeah. and being happy. The children you need the help at Madame Vanier are not very attractive. And, and they, because of privacy, couldn't be shown anyway yeah and one of those issues of, of fundraising in order to really pluck the the heartstrings of, of people is is how you go about it when you've got a population that generally is not liked by the fund paying population many of these kids are deeply troubled they are they are behavioral problems mm -hmm. they are labeled by their communities as as being problems um, well, and, they, because, and, and because there, they are, and there problems. is a huge lack of sympathy yeah. for any group that that includes a teenage group right yeah. now. It is extraordinarily difficult to raise money for teenagers in this. You know, I, I think you've all uh, you've identified in a way what I regard as the weakness in the fundraising technique, and that's that they're trying to pull at your heartstrings. Mm -hmm. What they're supposed to be doing is pulling at your self-interest, appealing to your self-interest, so that you have a reason motivated from yourself. Well, we're back to pay to me get. now, pay me later, which you didn't well, like before. No, that, when, that you, is, when you were is. talking about it, you were talking about it in context of government funding as being the one and only thing there. I don't think he was talking about it just in, in context of knowing Jim. I can't believe that he was only talking about that because he he shares Well, let, let's let Jim answer stuff. that question <laughs> being no, in the no. center. I think it, whether it's the government or whether it's the private sector, whether it's charity, it does it all amounts to the same thing. I think we... Oh, have, I don't. Well, I we, don't. Uh, no, I mean, in, in, this con in the context of pay me now, pay me later... The the problem well, okay, is, yeah. the problem is that as a society we we don't buy that we really don't buy that we're still of the mind that well, I'll pay as little as I can today and let tomorrow take care of itself and we do that in our private lives we do that mm -hmm. all over the place you look at people doing that uh, uh, you know it's mm -hmm. things as simple as what that ad was all about people not looking after their automobiles and 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 they end up spending a lot more money for transportation than they had to what does that mean that means other dollars they would have had to spend on other things they don't have because mm -hmm. they didn't follow simple but in that steps. case again you're dealing with something of self-interest and really it's not your business or mine whether the other guy wastes his money on his but car. But if, if we go back <laughs> to the blaming, shaming, labeling attitude that Jim identified as a problem for people with mental illness, mm -hmm. whether they're children or adolescents or, or adults, then it's very hard to appeal to people's self-interest. I mean, that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's one of the issues. I think, actually, people 
I, I, I would I would disagree to some extent with you when you say that people's charitable giving depends only on self-interest. I, I really don't think that's necessarily the case. And I, I, I actually wouldn't wouldn't want a fundraising campaign to be playing into that to the same extent as you would. And I don't want to go way down this road because it's way off the tack. But you know, Robert, that there are a great many religions that, uh, that uh, um, enjoin us very strongly not to reach out because of self-interest, but to do because of a higher interest. Mm-hmm. Well, that's also self-interest. Everything oh. you do is basically, <laughs> if you're doing something voluntarily, it is self-interest. If you're doing something that you've been forced to do, you're not acting in your self-interest. Otherwise, you would have been doing it uh, the other way around. And, and that's why I say that anything you do voluntarily is self-interest. Let's go to the phones where James has been waiting to join us. Good morning, sir. Hi, how are you? Fine, thanks. Um, I just kind of, my thoughts got off track. How is that, what... Do you said anything you do voluntarily has self-interest? Well, when you do something voluntarily, you're, you're generally working out of your self-interest. You might not always like what you're doing. You might be picking between the lesser of two evils, but it's your choice, and you're operating well, in your self-interest. You I wouldn't... join a group of fellas, and uh, we go to um, the Dearness Home in mm -hmm. Harkwood, and we, you know, I have a PA system. We set it up, and we take our turns, and we entertain mm -hmm. and uh, for nothing. I have no self-interest for that. Sure you do. Sure you do. I've, I've done that. Yeah, do you hate doing it? You feel great after doing oh, I, it. Oh, I feel great, yeah. There you that, go. Oh, yeah. The, there's the self-interest. Yeah, I just feel great you, that I give them uh, people... <laughs> sure. Now, James, if you felt terrible but and you I, felt I really bad anything. about it, would you be doing it? Pardon me? If you felt terrible every time you went and you felt really bad about it and you didn't like the um, response, would you be doing it? Well, uh... No, you wouldn't. Come on, be honest. You wouldn't do it. There's one situation where I, I feel pretty bad. No, but I mean, if 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 the if the overall sense like, of what remember you... Jim the other day you had that show and there was a lot of emotional calls. Yes. That. Yeah. I'll tell you what went through my mind. Mm -hmm. I have a friend that has multiple sclerosis. Yeah. He's an old family friend. When I first met him as a child, he could walk with two canes. He's in Parkwood and he is so disabled he can only move his head, mm -hmm. and he can only he can hardly talk beyond a whisper. Mm -hmm. But he introduced me to music. Mm -hmm. I'll go in there and sit beside his bed with my guitar and sing and play for him. Mm -hmm. Sometimes three and four hours. Yeah. When I leave, sometimes I'm crying. Sure you are. Because I'm thinking, Jesus, don't you have any mercy? Take him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, take him. But they're still in the in the very kindest and and gentlest sense of the term. You're still doing that for your own self-interest. You're doing that, and, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, absolutely. Oh, that, I, I I know I brighten his day. He loves, yeah, exactly. He loves music, and that's why you do it. But it's. It's pretty tough some days to do no, that. No doubt. And God bless you for doing but it. But anyway, more uh, people doing why it. I called was um, when you were talking about uh, charities. Teen, I was surprised that uh, Teen Challenge come around to my church about a year ago, and they were saying they get no help from the government because of what they call the Bible rule. Because there's religion in their, in their therapy, mm -hmm. they don't get no government assistance. I don't agree with that. I think if they prove that they're a success, they should get a little help because uh, they help, you know, teenagers with uh, substance abuse problems and whatnot. Yeah, indeed they do, and they do a lot of good work, and, and a lot of Londoners support them. And they're doing it without uh, any help from taxpayers. Isn't that the point? Isn't that, I think that's Bob's point. They are yeah, doing it Yeah, that's what made me taxpayers. think, you know, they're doing it. But I think, but I think, geez, if, you're, if you need a hand and you're, you're proven that you're doing good things, you should get a little bit of help from the taxpayer because, you know, with all the bad things 
kids can learn. A little bit of well, you know what'll happen. A little bit of God in their life is hardly going to damage them. Yeah, I don't think that's even an issue. I think the issue is that once the government starts giving money, the people who are giving money voluntarily start pulling back. I've seen that happen over and over and over again with people giving to certain charities, finding out the government is now starting to fund them, and they say, well, I'm not giving anymore. They're already taking my money and handing it over anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk about self-interest and, and, and about people voluntarily giving and feeling good about what they give. It's always assumed, and the rhetoric of the right is that we all resent and feel horrible about paying our taxes. I don't. I I see myself as being privileged to pay the taxes mm -hmm. that can go and support these 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 programs mm -hmm. and support a much broader number of programs than I could ever support privately because we pool our money, mm -hmm. and it can be it can be directed uh, across the community instead of just to my private interest. And that's one of the issues around around paying taxes and having taxes fund services. It doesn't depend on the personal whim of the giver to make sure that, that all the services that are needed are covered. I oh. resent seeing my sometimes seeing my tax dollars spent foolishly. Yeah, I think I, I think, think we all resent seeing yeah. them spent That's foolishly. That, I'll say have a good day. All right, thanks James. And Tony's up next. Hi Tony. Hi Jim. You know, you were talking about uh, self-interest and uh, I think what happens when uh, when uh, for instance, religions uh, step in, uh, like the school children at school. Um, they're constantly being uh, taught to uh, consider the needs of, uh, of the elderly and so on. And, and some of the kids go out and visit some of the, the folks in the old, you know, in the in the, uh, in the homes mm -hmm. and so on. And so that they're they're developing uh, an ability to uh, to identify their self with other people mm -hmm. and the needs of other people and what you do is you get growth and that that self grows until you, you start identifying with people of other colors mm -hmm. other uh, you mm -hmm. know yeah uh, I so agree on. with you and, and then you grow and then you don't have a you don't become a selfish person you just you became a larger person mm -hmm. and and uh, your self interest becomes identified with basically everything there is mm -hmm. and with building the community yes and absolutely so that, that's, that's a proper way to go uh, and uh, because ultimately you have the instance where the parent, the mother, their child is, is in uh, danger of death. That person has no thought for themselves at all. Their life is, means nothing. They go and do whatever they have to do to save that child. Because that, that person cares more about somebody else than they, they do themselves. And uh, this, this uh, process is, is a kind of, unless society or other people get involved in destroying that process then this is a wonderful uh, thing that just uh, takes over uh, good point tony i appreciate you sharing with us okay thank thanks you thanks for being part of the program james raised an interesting thing though that i just want to comment very quickly i'm not a big supporter of government funding organizations with a religious component um i i donate regularly to to religious organizations but i'm not a particularly great fan of the religions themselves but i like the organizations uh, because I think that's an important thing to do as an individual. But I think you are on very shaky ground when government starts... Uh, we're on shaky ground with a lot of government funding now, where government starts to fund, again, programs, even worthwhile programs with a religious component. It seems to me if the religious component is an important part of it, then the people who are adherents to that are the people... I agree who, with who you absolutely, Jim. I, I'm, I'm like you. I mean, I, 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 I donate a good deal of money to church-related things, and, uh, and, and that's important to me. 
but when 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 we have a multiplistic society as we do where people uh, who live in our communities either don't believe in any religion or have many different kinds of religions then that that becomes a bit of an issue i mean it's an issue for a lot of people at the constitutional requirement to provide uh, separate schools as well as mm -hmm. public schools i mean that already is is an issue mm -hmm. and it is an issue for some people that the churches continue to uh, enjoy a tax-free status that that is also an issue for some people and so i think if you start if, if you start in into government funding for for religiously based uh, issues where proselytizing is part of the mm -hmm. treatment and it is mm -hmm. with teen challenge mm -hmm. uh then i think that's a, a bit of a difficulty also there's the principle that he who pays the piper calls the tune and when the government gets in there it's going to be calling the tune and it won't there won't be a religious component mm -hmm. after yeah. a while yeah. and well, there can't be of course right which so, is, is the other yeah. issue and not only that it can extend far beyond that i mean the government will start you know withholding funds if they don't do it this way, that way, or use this method or that method, and then all of a sudden the, the agency receiving the money is not doing what it wants to do, it's doing what its major contributor wants it to do. It's always seemed to me that, uh, that pro programs and projects sponsored by faith communities that run into financial difficulty um, bring into question to me, and I don't mean to insult anybody, but I think it's the truth, they bring into, into question to me the strength of that faith community. If they really do believe in the efficacy of the program and their faith uh, compels them to become involved and to support it, then I think you, you support it. Economic wisdom. In fact, sometimes it creates quite the opposite. I'm not, I'm not arguing but, that, but what I'm saying is that if you, if you, if you start a program and the program has a, has a faith-based component to it and it grows out of a faith community, and that faith community w cannot or will not support that program, then I think that says more about the faith community than it does about the program. Allowing always for um, situations where there's a dramatic change in demographics, and most of the faith communities right now, uh, for one reason or another, are facing some demographic problems yeah. in terms of the, you know, older neighborhoods mm -hmm. where they've they've had a very strong presence, but as as people die off. Uh, they need to they need to be outreaching in a different way and yeah. maybe haven't quite got to that point yet but it's the same accountability in religious communities I would say in faith communities as it is any place else I mean I would expect the mosque or a church or a, uh, an out of the cold program or whatever uh, to to be um, in in terms of its, its responsibility to its community to be just as accountable mm -hmm. for the funding and as accountable for the program um, interest as as any other other group and and sometimes they they're able to do that and sometimes they aren't just like other groups let's go to the phones where gord's waiting hi gord hi jim how are yes. you doing fine thanks oh, welcome back by the Thank way you. um don't you think like a lot of this uh, problems sort of stem from the fact that uh walking down the street let's say downtown or you see somebody who's poor panhandling or somebody's obviously mentally emotionally disturbed it's a fear factor like but for the grace of God, go I. Well, why aren't we paying off the fear factor? Then that's the, that's the question I don't understand. If you're right, and I suspect you are, <clears throat> then that comes back to Bob's issue of self-interest. It's in our self-interest to make sure that the programs and services for those people are well-funded so that they won't be a threat to us. I mean, that's one of the reasons the wealthy funded well, so many programs before we had welfare, because mm -hmm. they knew it was in their self-interest. But also to the aspect is that how far away are we? You know, like for an injury or a disease or whatever. most people, most people are one or two paychecks away from it. Yeah. Without without the uh, without the social programs. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like a lack of respect to like whether it's left, right, rich, poor. Mm -hmm. It's a lack of respect to where the other one is coming from. If we get over that fact, there's a good and bad and all. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's, that goes back to Jim's issue around labeling and, and, and fearing and not seeing ourselves as, as uh, possibly walking in that person's shoes. Thanks for the call today, Gord. You're welcome, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. We will be doing, I don't know whether it's going to be on this program or whether it'll be in the free press in the column, but I'm doing a, a story about a, uh, an individual that I met not too long ago who uh, was at first glance appeared to be one thing and later discovered him to be something entirely different. And it certainly opened my eyes to a whole range of behaviors that I was indulging in that were not good. But uh, today's not the place for it, but we're going to talk about that, and it falls in line with what Gord was saying, too. Uh, Ken's with us. Hi, Ken. Hi, Jim. I was in and out in the car, and I thought I'd uh, join this debate yeah. on, the, on the matter of uh, the quote, uh, what, seeing Leah Castleman on the radio, I mean, on the radio and uh, on the TV in regards to the, the uh, London Village strike, yeah. um, where she uh, was very much attacking the Salvation Army um, for and, and telling people not to contribute to the kettles, not to contribute to the churches. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I see the Salvation Army is providing, you know, they're an agency uh, providing a service for, you know, definitely there's a, it's a, there's a need for that in the community, and they are getting that, their, most of their funding for that is supposed to come from the government. Mm-hmm. It's the government that's cutting it back, just like uh, I believe it was Helen Connell's uh, column in the Free Press not too long ago saying, you know, hey, these people need to get paid, but what I have a problem then is is Leah Castleman making all these comments against the church. Well, it's you know it's a free country. That's what she believes. I, to, to my mind, this has always been more about uh, a labor dispute than a philosophical dispute. You mm-hmm. know, the the strikers believe the Salvation Army can afford to pay them more. The Salvation Army contends that they simply can't. And it takes on a certain Boy, no piquancy. There, eh? and, and it takes on a certain <laughs> piquancy when it's a, a group like the Salvation Army yeah. that purports to be looking after everyone and is perceived by those staff as looking after everyone but them. Yeah. But just as uh, just as Rob was pointing out, um, in you know whether there's faith in there or not. There still has to be a, some econ- economics and some uh, efficiencies, and when they're, you know, they have, they, I'm sure they apportion them just like you can with anything else with the projects on uh, budgets. They have to, they're getting their money from the government. It's not that the uh, the church coffers are paying for that. No, the argument again is on the part of the strikers is that the uh, Salvation Army does indeed have enough money to do this without having to go back to the government or go anywhere else. But they've almost literally got the money in the they've bank. They've chosen to spend their and money on other programs. That, that's, a, that's a false argument. Just because they have enough money doesn't mean they're entitled no. to it. What makes the, They are competitive labor. If someone's out there cheap, be, you know, able to do what they're doing cheaper, that's who should be doing it. And that's the philosophical issue. It's not a non-philosophical issue. Well, I don't think the Salvation Army is <laughs> suggesting that somebody else would do it cheaper. I think the Salvation Army is suggesting that they're not prepared to pay any more and, and they may not offer the service. Because they're not they getting don't. the funding from the government for it. Yeah. I'll leave it there. I can't appreciate yep. the call, sir. And Ted's been waiting patiently. Hi, Ted. Morning, Jim. Um, I never minded the Salvation Army. At least they would come into the bars and talk to the, the odd drunk in the odd bar and try to help them out. They not to mention their work in the jails and so on. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I was saying about Mrs. Boyd's testimony about taxes is I've worked with the public for about 35 years and in the service station and different places. And I never met anybody that liked paying taxes. But at the same time, I never met anybody like that in this country liked paying for anything. 
That's a good point. That's a very good point, though, Ted. They never did. Yeah. They, and uh, they always complain about the price of everything. As soon as it goes up and, and if it goes down, they think they're entitled for it to stay down. Yeah. Well, gosh, are you still working in a service center? It sounds as if you're a bit jaded. <laughs> no, I'm not jaded. I, I'm, I'm perfectly normal. I've, 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 what I've done is I've managed to change my way of thinking about people yeah. and instead of allowing them to to jade me with their thinking is to to learn about the economics of the situation yeah. and recognize you know that uh, not everybody that makes two cents more than me is a crook yeah good for you so i think that uh, that uh, no we don't want to pay taxes but we certainly want all the benefits of the yeah. taxes that give us what we what we really want what if they think about it, is we want the money to be spent responsibly yeah I think you're right and on not the everybody on on the right is uh is a, is a demon and not everybody left is a, is a spendthrift. That's right. So we have to have some balance. And uh, uh, for many, many years in this country, we thought we could, uh, we lived on our natural resources. In the last 40 years, we lived on our credit or our so-called goodwill. Yeah. I do not, as Canadian, want to spend one more cent on peacekeeping missions because we can't. Well, we're getting off the topic there, Ted, and, and, and we have run out of time, too. So I okay. do appreciate your call. Well, that's good because I'm ready to get in a roll. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Um, we just got time maybe to wrap up what we're talking about today, but I think it, Ted raised a couple of good issues there too, in terms of of. of uh, well, I, I think what he was saying is that self-interest isn't necessarily a bad thing. Well, and I think I think it's natural that you want to pay less for something and get more for it. That's mm -hmm. very healthy and has to be in the marketplace. That's mm -hmm. what makes the marketplace work. When you add force to that equation, though, when you can force the other party and to, who might not voluntarily go along with your ideas, that's when you start having aberrations mm -hmm. and things start going well, on. I don't think that's the only reason you have aberrations. And I agree with Marion. I agree with Marion about paying taxes. I don't resent paying taxes because we, I have the option of leaving this country and going to a, a country with a different system if I don't like this system. I look at the system. It's not perfect, but I, I'm, it's acceptable to me. What bothers me and bothers a great many people, and I'm sure bothers yeah, Marion oh, and bothers you too, is is the fear that that the dollars that we are paying are not being used wisely? Absolutely. And I am pre quite prepared, Robert, to to have some of the dollars I pay used for things that I may not approve of 100 percent, uh, so long as I can convince myself on the balance of probabilities that overall it is going to benefit the society in which I live. Because I don't think I have all the answers. I might be wrong today. I might I might think that that's a wrong program today. Tomorrow I may change my mind. And I bet I've, you have I've, changed your mind I've, about I've, some programs. Say, I have done it in the past. Mm -hmm. So, so I have a like Mary and I. I think that in a sense, it's a privilege to pay taxes. But I share this great fear, based on many years of experience of dealing with governments, that we know for a fact that in many situations, the the kinds of controls we would see in the private sector aren't there. The kinds of ultimate controls, in other words, where you don't do the job, you go to business, don't exist in governments, and that's what scares a lot of us. I think there's a million dollars uh, in in this case uh, that was fraudulently obtained through the Canada Trust Corporation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the same money as yeah. in HRDC. Yeah. I think we have myths about only government being unaccountable for its money. Well, to no, allow that fraudulent behavior to go on for that length of time is equally serious, mm -hmm. and we see that happen lots and lots in the private sector as but well. But if it goes on long enough, the private sector venture fails. It can go on in right. the, uh, definitely in the government without failure. That's the, that's the difference. And that's well, what will happen. Hopefully not. Obviously, the comeuppance happens at some point. Well, are you are you particularly uh, optimistic that the HRDC thing, that anybody's ever going to pay any price for the screw-ups there? Oh, yeah, I, I do. And I, so? I think, actually, I think the longer this goes on, the more the more necessity there is for the current government and the current minister to really take hold and prove that 
they have come to grips with, with the issues. Well, she may very well be able to prove that she's come to grips with it, but she can't take away what's happened in the past, and those ministers... But nobody ever can. Neither those, can Canada but Trust. But those ministers on. are untouchable. We can't go out. You can always fire the guy, the, the middle manager guy at Canada Trust who screwed up. You can always, you can fire him at any time. Anytime and you Canada catch up Trust with him. Canada Trust will replace the money, too. Anytime you catch up with him, you can fire him. They, they, have can't, they can't do it to the... Uh, whoever does it, it's their responsibility. Anyway. It is replaced. Thank you to both of you. It's been a very uh, Thanks, stimulating discussion today, as Indeed. it always is. Folks, thank you for being part uh, of this part of Talk of the Town. Stay with us. Chris Cahill from Financial Strategies Group will be in in a moment. He's our financial expert. We're going to talk about uh, this being, or yesterday being, the last day for your RSPs. Did you really miss out? If you didn't top them up yesterday, what kind of strategies might you look at for the future? And Chris will also be happy to answer any questions you have about financial planning. That's all just ahead on Talk of the Town and 1290 CJBK.